Welcome to First Do No Harm with Massachusetts Citizens for Life board member and physician, Dr. Mark Rollo. This broadcast will focus on medical ethics from a Catholic perspective and address abortion, physician-assisted suicide, contraception, natural family planning, IVF, healthcare proxy, and other topics. Please be advised that this show may not be appropriate for children under 13. Hello and welcome back to First Do No Harm, a show about medical ethics from a Catholic perspective. I'm Dr. Mark Rollo. Last time I introduced to you Father Joseph Tom, T-H-A-M. Father Tom belongs to the religious order of the Legionnaires for Christ and is a family physician. He has written extensively regarding the secularization of bioethics. I introduced him in connection with the discussion of IVF, which is a notable example of where secularized, situational bioethics has led the field of medicine. Today you will hear part one of my recent interview with Father Tom as he discusses the historical roots of the secularization of bioethics and how it has led astray both medicine and the culture. Before we begin, let us pray. For as stated by the U.S. Catholic bishops, Only with prayer, prayer that storms the heavens for justice and mercy, prayer that cleanses our hearts and souls. Will the culture of death that surrounds us today be replaced with a culture of life? O God, your servant, Pope Benedict XVI, once presciently pronounced that we are moving toward a dictatorship of relativism, which does not recognize anything for certain, and which has as its highest goal one's own ego and one's own desires. Help us to realize that only by conforming ourselves to your transcendent will, do we truly find ourselves and learn what we must do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now here is part one of my conversation with Father Joseph Tom. Joining me now from Rome is Father Joseph Tom. Father Tom was born in Hong Kong and immigrated to Canada at the age of 15. At the University of Toronto, he first majored in mathematical sciences and ultimately graduated from medical school. After several years of work as a family physician, he entered the seminary at the Legionnaires of Christ and was ordained a priest in 2004. As part of this preparation, he has obtained his degrees in philosophy and theology at Rome's Regina Apostolorum Pontifical University. 
where he completed his postgraduate studies in bioethics. He successfully defended his doctoral dissertation with high honors on the secularization of bioethics, a critical history. And this was under the direction of Dr. Edmund Pellegrino, former chairman of the President's Council on Bioethics. He is a former dean of the School of Bioethics in Regina Apostolorum, where he presently teaches bioethics. He is a fellow of the UNESCO Chair in Bioethics and Human Rights. UNESCO stands for United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. Father Tom is also the author and editor of numerous articles and books, including the book that we're going to be talking about uh, today, his uh, dissertation, The Secularization of Bioethics, A Critical History. So welcome, uh, Father Joe. Thank you, Mark. I'm glad you could join us from Rome. It's the end of your day there, in the middle of the day here as we speak. And um, I recall that we first met in 2008 uh, when we were both attending the annual meeting of the American Academy of Fertility Care Professionals. And uh, that meeting was in Rome. And we were there celebrating the 40th anniversary of Humanae Vitae, which in 1968, Pope Paul VI confirmed the traditional teaching of the Catholic Church opposing a contraception. At that time, your dissertation, written in 2007, was, uh, was hot off the presses, and uh, I got an autographed copy, and little did I know that uh, 13 to 14 years later, we would be talking about this. So before we actually get into the dissertation, I was uh, struck by the fact, I didn't even realize it at the time, but you had been practicing as a uh, physician for several years before you became a priest. Can you say a little bit about that transition? I guess it's sometimes it's, it's a question that some a lot of people ask me about why I would give up medicine and become a priest. They always say some of them are not religious, and they thought like the doctor's life is quite comfortable and can do a lot of. Mm-hmm. traveling and make good money. Yeah. Um, and so they were a little surprised, especially also my, some of my colleagues, my co-workers. But I guess ultimately it has to do with uh, the fact that it's a calling. So I think even before I joined medicine, I had some inklings that God might be calling me to serve him in a deeper way, a more generous way. I had wanted to become a missionary. I worked in uh, Africa a couple of times, not long time, but like my elective courses or uh, two months here or, or there and there in my internship as well. And so um, at first I thought, well, maybe I could become a medical missionary because I, I see a lot of needs there in right. these, uh, developing uh, countries. Yes. And... Also around that time when I was graduating, I was still thinking, okay, how, what am I going to do with my life? I was, at the time, 25 years old. And I thought, well, if I become a medical missionary, then I'm already being very generous with God. But then, uh, I guess, always when I go deeper in prayer, I realized that God wanted me to 
do something more. Mm. Almost, it's more like not necessarily a vocation. Vocation is uh, one of the options, but it's more like God asking me to write him a blank check. Right? <laughs> right. Um, at first, I was thinking like more like, okay, God, I want to help you, mm-hmm. and I will give my life to you, and I will serve you as a medical missionary. I'm not being very, very generous. I'm not going to make a lot of money, and that's already like very generous of me. But then when I go deeper in prayer, it's like, God's like, no, I want you to say yes to whatever I ask of you. Right? Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a struggle I had uh, after I graduated from medical school. For four years, I was struggling with the idea of the vocation. And finally, I basically gave in. Basically, I said, okay, <laughs> right. I will do whatever you want. Yeah. And uh, my worst fear at that time came came true, which is God wanted me to be serving in the, the priesthood. Yes. So it was happy. I mean, it was, I was very happy Yeah. Uh, about that uh, that calling. I, was, I felt very, like, um, almost unworthy. Like, why would God want me to be a priest? Because mm. you know, it was like, I mean, you need to be really holy, you need to be really talented to be a priest. And I felt like I didn't really have the qualities. So anyway... Been almost twenty years since I become a Christian. Wow! Exactly. Well, that, that's eighteen years. Eighteen years. Yeah. That, that's very interesting. It makes you, as you were talking, it made me think about the rich man who went to Jesus and said, "You know, what more must I do?" And he said, "Give away everything and follow me." And that's kind of what you did. And and I also think of uh, I don't know if it was today or recently we had a feast day of St. Francis of Assisi, and, and he was struck by that parable of, of the rich man going to Jesus, and so he, he, was, mm-hmm. he was rich at the time, St. Francis, and he gave up everything, and he did it uh, joyfully, and it sounds, sounds like you, mm-hmm. you did the same thing, joyfully. So um, having made that transition, it made me think that uh, perhaps having been in medicine, and now becoming a priest might have had something to do with your writing your dissertation, the secularization of bioethics? Right. It's also interesting because when I became a priest or when I went through a seminary training, one of the things I, I bargained with God said, like, don't make me a professor. It's one of the things I said, I don't want to do. I want to have direct contact with souls, and to me, professors seems to be very like aloof, and they hide yeah. in the room, and mm-hmm. it's like wasn't what I wanted to do. And once again, in prayer, mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember, I remember doing bringing this to God because my superiors were asking me to be a professor in politics, mm. and was quite resistant to that idea. Once again, I brought it to prayer, and once again, <laughs> God wanted me to be a professor. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, well, here I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you've been uh, very, very deep into doing, uh, into being a professor, and you've uh, written many articles. I've read some of them. Father Joseph, you you begin by describing what you mean by uh, secularization in your in the title, the secularization of bioethics. Can you talk a little bit about the title and and uh, what exactly? 
you mean by the secularization of bioethics? I guess it's very interesting because uh, when I started doing my doctoral thesis, it was a fruit of a, an, a smaller paper wrote for my, what we call the, the master's degree. Mm-hmm. And it was actually on a relationship between beginning of bioethics, the, the history of it, mm-hmm. and the relationship with the whole question of uh, contraception and humanity. Yes. Because yes. as you recall, right. the timing is very, very close to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, bioethics in the late 60s, and humanity came out in 68. Yes. So um, I remember that being mentioned in class. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to investigate. And so, to my surprise, I found out that, um, that many of the original members who were involved in this debate were actually involved in bioethics a few years later. Mm-hmm. So that fascinated me. Mm. And, and so when I started to write my doctoral thesis, I broadened the perspective not only on humanity, but also on the other other actors which are or social, uh, social, political, educational, uh, in the different spheres of society, and like to give it a broader right. view of what happened, especially in America, that whole phenomenon of uh, what I would term secularization, and then uh, I would look at secularization of bioethics in particular. Yes. And then analyze it further. Yeah, it's it's amazing what a linchpin the whole notion of contraception was in the whole field of bioethics. You know, sometimes like when Humana Vitae was, was released by Pope Paul VI, I was 18. I was about to go to college, you know, and, and I remember the, that the dissension and the ridicule that the church was receiving was, was just amazing. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of have this uh, notion that when you look back through history, somehow you sort of naturally orient it to your own life experience. So I thought, well, maybe I'm making too much about, about uh, making too much of humanity Vitae in terms of the whole history and spectrum of bioethics. But it really, I, I think, as you say, it, it was kind of a, a critical, uh, you know, mile mm-hmm. marker. Um, but it, you 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 trace bioethics all the way back to um, uh, the emergence of uh, Hippocrates and then going uh, forward. That's right. So there is also a personal note because um, it is because when I was practicing medicine, mm-hmm. the question of contraception always came up because it's what family doctors do. And at that time, at the beginning, when I came out of medical school, I started to be a family doctor. It wasn't an issue at the beginning. I mean, contraception was kind of like the bread and butter. Yes. And then, to confess, I, mean, I also didn't feel that it was a big... I mean, I knew that the church fought against it, but I never could find out why mm-hmm. as well. So it was, I was just like any regular doctor and giving it out. But then, and then, and then it got to me that maybe there's something wrong with contraception because I mean, even as a Young doctor, I see that, especially young girls coming for uh, for a pill, and it's like 
there's something wrong with this. It cannot be just like, you're just like giving out candy. Yeah. And so uh, it got to me, and then I realized that uh, I had to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And that's when I um, learned about um, natural family planning mm. as an alternative. Yes. I investigated it further, and then went to Omaha and learned about this uh, Clayton model and uh, natural technology, and that's how I got involved. Even before I joined the seminary, mm. I did kind of the training there, so I kind of adapted and changed my practice mm-hmm. uh, to be a NFP doctor, someone who won't give pill, and it was a big change. I mean, yes. uh, even as a game, I, I mean, at the office, it's kind of like raising eyebrows. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds very familiar. I mean, I went through a similar... Um, uh, process that that uh, I've told the story before on this program that I um, you know I went to uh, a Catholic uh, grammar school high school uh, I went to a graduate school at, at a at a Catholic university I went to Catholic medical school mm-hmm. and all the while all the people I came in contact with you know including in at Loyola Medical School. Uh, they were all prescribing contraception, mm-hmm. so I figured, well, I, I guess, you know, people expect this, and this is what you got to do. And it wasn't until I met somebody in the secular institution of the Air Force, because I was an Air Force physician for a while, that I saw this mm-hmm. person wasn't giving out birth control, didn't believe in it, and was actually a teacher of the of the couple-to-couple mm-hmm. league. And uh, mm-hmm. so this, this um, had a profound effect... Uh, on me, and I ultimately, uh, you know, finally took Humana Vitae seriously and stopped prescribing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like you, I went to uh, Omaha. I was there at the uh, Pope Paul VI Institute with Dr. Hilgers and went there in, in initially in 1992. I'm curious, when, mm-hmm. when, when did you go out there? I did my program in 93, 94. Oh, okay. Um, well, just a year before I joined the seminary. Mm. So I think that was also providential. <laughs> yes, right. But then I, I brought it into my studies and also my, my training. And so in some way that was why I chose topic on separation uh, because of this intimate connection that I is like on a personal level. And also I wanted to look uh, closely at this from an academic uh, point of view. This concludes part one of my interview with Father Joseph Tom. His comprehensive 400-paged dissertation regarding the secularization of bioethics is succinctly summarized in an article by the same name, The Secularization of Bioethics, by Reverend Joseph Tom, L.C.M.D., which can easily be found online. Here are some excerpts from that article. There has been long-standing interest in the question of the role of religion in bioethics. In 1993, the Institute of Religion in Texas celebrated the 25th anniversary of its first Houston Conference on Medicine and Technology by organizing a conference on the present state of religion and medical ethics. The commemorative conference re-examined the role of religion in bioethics 
by looking back and looking forward. The tone of this gathering was nostalgic and somewhat somber, as reflected, for instance, in the title of a paper by one of the presenters, Stephen Lammers, Ph.D., entitled The Marginalization of Religious Voices in Bioethics. The chagrin is understandable. In 1968, theologians had opened up the field of bioethics. In 1993, they found themselves slighted in academic and public discussion. Interest in the question was also reflected in a research project titled Theology, Religious Traditions, and Bioethics. The loss of contributions from religion to bioethics and the consequent impoverishment of the field was lamented. Continues Father Tom in his article, The most striking change over the past two decades has been the secularization of bioethics. The field has moved from one dominated by religious and medical traditions to one increasingly shaped by philosophical and legal concepts. The consequence has been a mode of public discourse that emphasizes the secular themes of universal rights, individual self-direction, procedural justice, and a systematic denial of either a common good or a transcendent individual good. Father Tom goes on to explain in his article the meaning of secularization. The essay will outline how secularization has taken place in the field of bioethics, provide some plausible causes, and offer thoughts on the future prospects of religion in the debate. First, however, a clarification of the terminology is necessary. Theologians, churchmen, statisticians, and sociologists alike have written a great deal about secularization, but they have not reached an agreement on its meaning. For the last three centuries, a number of secular seers predicted the fall of religion, each forecasting its demise and eventual disappearance. By the early 20th century, secularization had become a code word for this Enlightenment thesis, which subscribed to rationalistic, positivist, and evolutionary conjectures that religion, being a man-made intervention, would eventually give way to science. By the late 1950s, secularization became a popular catchphrase, with enthusiastic support from anthropologists and social scientists. More recently, however, the thesis has been challenged by the fact that in many parts of the world, including the industrialized United States, religious faith has not disappeared, but remains vigorous. As some began to abandon the secularization thesis, 
Others propose further elaboration and refinement of terminologies. Hence, though the term remains ambiguous and is tainted with a predetermined ideology, for the purpose of this paper, secularization can be defined as a description or theory of the increasing loss of religious influence and authority at the different levels of life, on the societal level, organizational or institutional level, and the level of individual religiosity. Father Tom continued the article by discussing secularization involving different spheres of society. Since the times of the Enlightenment, secularism has encroached upon the hegemony of religion in different public spheres of society. One by one, the traditional control of religion in vital areas of the social order began to crumble under the secular challenge of politics, culture, science, economy, judicial activism, philosophy, and education. In the West, most modern democracies have taken to heart the dictum of separation of church and state, where laws, government programs, and education must strictly be founded on non-sectarian principles. America differed from Europe in that the secularizing forces did not garner sufficient support to overthrow the religious dominance in many of these areas until the past century. Sociologist Christian Smith calls this the secular revolution, which occurred not as a natural or inevitable consequence of modernization, but as the outcome of a struggle between contending groups with conflicting interests seeking to control social knowledge and institutions. Tune in next time when we will discuss further the secularization of bioethics and the corrupting influence it has had on the field of medicine and our culture at large. Until then, remember, we should always treat life with care and respect, and at the very least, we should first do no harm. First do no harm with Dr. Mark Rollo is produced at WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Richburg. We are very happy to share it with other networks. Thank you for tuning in to First Do No Harm. Dr. Rollo welcomes your questions and comments. You may contact him at markrollo978 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-R-O-L-L-O 978 at gmail.com. Thank you, and until next week, remember, first, do no harm.